Open your Bible, if you would, please. We're going to start our study, Joshua 24, verse 15. I really want to just get you to repeat the topic with me, please, and it's a part of a, a longer, larger study. Repeat it with me, please. The Living in Covenant. Living in covenant. This is part four in our study. And each, each week I have a big question because I, I believe that people tend to remember one or two things and not 20. And so all of this today is about one, one big question. What is your family committed to? Repeat that with me, please. Say, what is, what is my, family my family committed to? Committed to? This whole talk today, briefly, is about covenant. And the word covenant really is the word that means commitment. If you're new to sermon notes, I helped you. I'm your friend. I gave it all to you. So you have it all in front of you so you don't have to turn Bible verses or anything. I've given it to you. If you want to, you can. But I, I want you to just follow me along, and I want you to think about this one question, just one question. If I were to look at my family and analyze my family, honestly, what would I say they're committed to? Sometimes we get lost and just kind of live life. Get up every day, go to work, tend to the house, tend to the things around us. But we don't necessarily tune in to exactly what we're trying to accomplish. You should be able to tell me by your actions, what your family's committed to. I hope you can see what we're committed to. I hope you just looked at today's service so far and said, based on what I've seen, they're committed to touching schools, they're committed to touching the local people, they're committed to foreign people, touching foreign missions, they're committed to college students, they're committed to time, they want to get me out, they respect my time. There are certain commitments we've made. And I, I want to just turn the camera, though, on you for a minute and say, what are you committed to? Let's line up your dad, your mom, your cousins, all, and say, what would you say these people are committed to? The tragedy is some families are only committed to themselves, individually, not even the whole family. It's my house, my car, my me. It's, it's, it's nothing about us. So if one family member is in crisis, nobody really cares. Nobody runs. There's not this sense of we as a mob, we as a group. Help families survive. The tragedy is that attitude is spread throughout our culture. It's spread throughout our political environment. It's all about the party you belong to, the candidate you believe in, your issue, your cause, your concern. It's not about anybody across the river. And so it's all about me. It's all, all about me. If I came in here and said it's all about the temples, What's, what does your family name say? One, two, three? Yeah. Now, I want you to just do me a favor. I want you to just follow me. Just, just humor me for a minute. When I say it's all about the temples and it's not about, you're going to say your family name. You ready? It's all about the temples. It's not about the... Yeah. See, you don't like that, do you? It's all about America, not about... It's all about Georgia, not about the other states. It's all about, it's all about wherever you want to place that, you place it. And you, t you ask yourself, how does that make me feel when I'm on the other side of that? It's all about the boys, not about the girls. All about the men, not about the women. Who cares about the women? Ain't that right, brothers? Don't say nothing. Mm -hmm. See how quiet it is? brother said, you must be crazy. I'm not, I'm not following you down that rabbit hole. 
I was all alone. What are you committed to? And this, this message is part of a, a larger series where there's seven sermons, and I gave them to you so you can kind of see where I've been and where I'm going. The first uh, question I dealt with is what is, God, what is God committed to? And I talked about Genesis 17. I used Abraham as a, as a case study. And I said God's commitment to Abraham at 90 years or 99 years old was for him to enter into a new relationship with God that would change his name from Abram to Abraham. He would no longer be an exalted father who just basically had his family to think about. Now he's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to broaden his name, his wife's name. God's, God was committed to broadening Abraham, broadening his view beyond where he came from. And that's what's amazing to me. In Genesis 17, a guy who's 99 years old is on a new journey. It's amazing how you can always think your life ends at 55, 65, whatever number you set. Some of you is 40, 35. It's amazing. Some of you are 27, 28, 29. You think your life's over because you don't get married with 18 kids. I mean, you just think your whole world is supposed to be at a certain place. And here's what I want you to understand. That, that's a trap. 99 years old, Genesis 17, God challenged him. And he said, I have a plan for you, and I'm committed to you long term. You would not think that kind of promise would come when he's 99. Some of you teenagers think it should come at 16, right? Old people have no future. That's the thought that you have and that older people can have. The second sermon we talked about was what are you committed to? Not what is God committed to. That's one question. The question is, what are you committed to? Are you committed to being faithful? Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Are you a person that can be relied on, trusted? Then today, we switch to your family. What is God committed to? What are you committed to? Now we're going to talk about today, what is your family committed to? Next week, we take another journey, and we talk about what are your friends committed to? I believe the truth is, if I want to know you, meet your friends. Your friends tell your story way more than you do. If you're around people that are not committed, that don't have a vision, that don't have any passion for anything, their whole goal in life is to just hang out. That tells me a lot about your commitments and your passion. Because it's very difficult to hang around people who are not going in the same direction you're going. Then the week following, we're going to talk about what does your love life say you're committed to? There's a question. <laughs> Boy. Oh, yeah. And see, now you think that's all about falling in love. Well, I'm going to fool you because that's not all I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about romance. Even though I do think that for some people, that's all they're committed to, finding the next guy. Their whole life and prayer life is, Lord, show me the next woman. And you spend your entire existence committed to that pursuit. And here's the deal. You've already had a few of them, and you still aren't happy. You dumped the last two or three, and now you want a new one. The question is, is that your life commitment? Is that all there is? And, 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 how do you, and I don't even know that you understand really what love means. <coughs> do you really understand that love is a broader subject when you say, I love you? And I'll talk about that. Then following after that, I'll talk about what are you spiritually committed to. Yeah, that's right. 
what is it that you're committed to? Are you just committed to a job and your family and your world, but you have no spiritual commitment? You're not worried about growing in your walk with God. You're not worried about your spiritual development at all. It's just, let me live. Let me get all I can get out of the juice of life now. And then the last sermon, I'm going to talk about something that's pretty interesting. I'll talk about what is your government committed to. Now, that one we'll, you'll buckle up for. I'm going to take on some of the sub subjects of the day and try to give you some biblical balance. We'll get closer to the election time, and I'll, I'll do my best, and hopefully you'll find some, get some strength and, and, and blessing in that. But let me, if I can, turn back to our question for the day about your family and look at Joshua chapter 23 in your notes, and I want to talk about two things that Joshua was trying to do in chapter 23. My main verse that came to my mind when I thought about this whole topic of, of commitment was Joshua 24, 15. And here's what Joshua 24, 15 says. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the statement Joshua makes. And I, I thought, why in the world would Joshua say this? What was his motivation? Well, here was his motivation. He was trying to save the next generation. Joshua had come to the end of his life. He lived a long and fruitful life. He grew up in, in slavery in Egypt. And after he grew up in slavery, he watched this guy named Moses come along. And Moses led them to a place of freedom. Three million people, almost three million people marching out of Egypt. And on the way uh, through all the challenges and all the difficulties, he rose to be a man who was highly respected and became the leader of the army. And Joshua saw... 12 spies, he and 12 other spies, he, Caleb, and 12 other spies, 10 other spies went to the promised land to spy out the land. It came back, and he watched 10 of those 12 guys give a negative report. Then he watched the whole nation of Israel wander around in the wilderness for 40 years because God punished them and said, because you didn't believe you could enter the land and because you didn't believe me, he says, for every year, you, will, you, you walked around there for 40 days, you'll wonder for 40 years, one year for every day you walked around. And unbelief. And so Joshua watched all this. He and Caleb were the only two positive guys who believed they could take the land. But here's a guy, remember now, grew up in slavery in Egypt, watched them, watched them walk around the wilderness for 40 years, led them in many battles, and now he's at the end of his life. You see, that day does come. One day you're not going to be Pastor Rick. One day you're not going to be this. I will not be the leader of this church. One day you will not be at your job. One day you will not, not be where you are now. And when that day comes, what will it look like when you look at the next generation? I want you to, and this is a question that's not in your notes, before I read for you um, Joshua 23, there are three verses I'll read in a minute, but I, before I read them, there's a question you might want to write down. This is not in your notes. I think it's an amazing question. The question is, what will your family's future look like, this is important, if, you, if your kids don't take charge? If your kids... If your kids were given your family's wealth, resources, right now, if everybody in the future acted the same way your kids act today, what would the future look like? Just imagine for a minute. I don't know if you realize that or not. Everything you have, everything you have, every single thing you have, you have to give it away. The next generation will get your shoes, they're going to get the clothes you're wearing. Everything you're wearing today, somebody else will throw away. This, this fine suit. Ricky will get this suit. And I love my son, but let me tell you what Ricky's going to do. Give it away. 
And if, on a, if we're not careful, he will throw it away. I know my son. That's why I'm going through this whole project at my house. You know, I have this thing. Everything is in this night. I have these nice size storage areas. And uh, I'm, I'm getting a big dumpster thing, and I'm throwing a lot of stuff out. I got a bunch of, you know, CDs. I have got a whole bunch of cassettes from the day. Problem is I don't have a cassette player to play them all now. So I'm throwing them all away, and here's why I'm doing it. Because they're going to throw it away. So I might as well throw away my own stuff. I, have, I, I do funerals. It's one of my jobs. And I see people's life come to an end. What I like about the way Joshua is approaching the end of his life is he's preparing for it. And he's taking an honest look at the generation coming up behind him. And it concerns him. That was the motivation for the statement he made about me and my house, which I'll read in just a moment. But I want you to listen to what he did in Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. Listen to this meeting he calls. It came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to, to Israel from all their enemies round about. That Joshua was, what was he? Old. Look at your sermon notes. He was what? Old. Old and what? Advanced in years. And Joshua called for all Israel, for the elders, and for their heads, and for the judges and the officers. Now he called for four groups. Who did he call for? The what? Elders. Who else? Heads. Who else did he call for? Judges and officers. And said to them, hey guys, I am old. Old and advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. You have come a long way, people. You've fought through many battles. You've seen God give you victory over your enemies. That's what he's saying to them. And he's, he's concerned. Now, he's, he's, he's trying to get them prepared for his departure. So this whole conversation is to prepare the next generation of leaders. The guys he's talking to are going to be in charge. And he's trying to get them to understand there's something he needs to, we need to prevent. Because he sees it coming. Just like a lot of you. You see it coming. It's obvious. It's obvious when you go to a church and there are no young people. It's obvious that there are no young people. That's what's obvious. It's obvious if you're not careful that if people are amounting debt, and they're also amounting bad health on top of debt. And they have no cash. They said, I read an article of the day, the average American, if he has a $500 cash problem, that's why I only asked you for $40 earlier, $500 cash problem, he doesn't have it. Now you think about that for a second. Work hard every day, sweat, get up in the morning, go through all this effort. Joshua looks down the, the pat, down looks back at the generation coming and he says, "Man, whoa, whoo! Stood along that over their head, whoa boy, they're in trouble. Boy, they can't hardly if they have a light go out in the car, they can't fix it. Their back hurt, leg hurt. It's amazing. Rising tide." What concerns me, Doc, is I see so many people, young people, 
having physical challenges they didn't have before in their 30s and their 20s. The challenges, and here, here's what, here's what I, 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 and you can say, oh, 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 I hate this, oh, I hate this. He's going to make me feel bad. This is one of those bad, make you feel bad sermons. Oh, I wish he'd just get through, get through. No, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. Joshua is calling a meeting saying, hey, guys, there, there's something coming up the pike here that concerns me. I see the trend. Can't you see the trend? I mean, I, th- th- just notice what's happening. Do you, do you know, I'll, I'll say this, I'm going to jump in and jump out. Do you know one of the benefits of this last, this whole political season? Do you know one of the great lessons from all of this? We're not as far along as we thought. We're not as mature as we thought. We thought we all got along better than this. And we're like, everybody's shocked. No matter who you're voting for, everybody's shocked. Everybody's going, you're kidding? Boy, there's tension everywhere. But the good part about that is you see it. And you have a chance to prevent the long-term outcome. You can always turn the tide if you see it. Your family, if it sees it, can't commit to dealing with it. But if you don't see it, or if you ignore it, then it happens. And so watch what Joshua says in chapter 24, verse 13. I want to jump all the way from chapter 23 to chapter 24 for a minute. Let's watch with me, verse 13. Here's what Joshua says. I've given you a land which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them, and you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Pause. Now, you can relate to that. You really can. You just don't know it. Let me read it a little differently. You ready? Watch this. Ready? Here we go. I've given you a house you didn't pay for. My 401K, my retirement money, everything I have, all the furniture, which you did not build. And you went to eat of the vineyards. I mean, I'm sorry. You ate out of my refrigerator. All the things that I've given you, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I gave this, we gave the past generation everything they have. You know, one of the things that's really amazing to me, you're not thankful sometimes. We're not thankful all the time. We're not always appreciative. Do you know that I stand up here today because of a woman named Laura Beatrice Temple who worked hard. Let's say her name slow, Laura Beatrice Temple. She worked hard, scrubbed floors so that I would stand up here today and, and, and be able to do this. I should be thankful. I should live in such a way that I say thank you. I, I, should, not, I should not forget the opportunities. And here's what I think has happened. We forget. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. There are, there are things that you can forget. You can, you can become so naive. My wife and I were in a restaurant the other day. This is so true. It's so moving. I was, you know, she says things that just kind of surprises you sometimes. And she said, you know, she was a little bit nervous, you know, and a little bit uncomfortable. And, um, and then she, when we left the restaurant, she said, you know, when I was a little girl, I lived in this neighborhood, and I couldn't go to that restaurant. And from the little girl to then, she had never gone there. But she used to ride by, and she thought, somebody paid a high price. I should, be, I should be thankful. That's what I thought. Man, we should be thankful that we've graduated past some of our immaturities. 
And there's a moment sometimes when I think we're not. Joshua's trying to grab their attention. He says, can you pause for a minute? You may not have had a perfect life, but come on. You got something to be thankful for? You know, some of you that work on jobs, you know, you amaze me. You, you begged to get in, you got in the job, and now you're so, look at the preacher for a minute, you're so unthankful. Everybody's dumb in the place but you. If you're not careful, you get to the place that you're just not thankful. That woman had your children. That man did work. I mean, what's good to talk about here? We get to the place that we're no longer committed to each other. We're not thankful. Joshua looks at this nation and he says, guys, we need to have a meeting. And here's what he says. Listen to what he says. Verse 14. Fear the Lord and, ser and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the rivers and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. I want to pause there for a minute, and I want to just think about this for a second. Why is it necessary? After all that, they've, all that they've gone through, why is it necessary to say this? Why is it necessary, when you look at your family for a minute, and you think what your family's gone through, why is it necessary to say to them we should unite? Why is it necessary to say to them we should be faithful to God? You would think a nation that came through all they came through would be faithful and committed to God, but they were not. And Joshua, a guy now who's got to be somewhere in his 80s, now almost 100, and he's saying, guys, come on. Come on. You just It's like, let's have a family meeting and ask the question. Are we going to serve the Lord? Then he goes on in verse 15. This is where I started. This is where the first verse that caught my attention. He says, this, and he said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's why he said it. Here's why he said it. He, he made this statement, as for me and my house, because he saw what everybody else was doing. He saw what the other families were not committed to. They were not committed to following the Lord. Now listen, if you decided not to, it's okay. It's America. You can do what you want. But I just want to get you to think about it. I want you to think through the decision you've made. You've decided not to be committed. That's a profound decision. And in college, here's the deal. You start off, you're away from home. Now it's what you're committed to. Now you get to be free from those people. Nobody knows where you are. You can, you can play your love music, do what you want. You can do what you want. You can skip class. There's nobody going to chase you down. And let me promise you, the professors who get paid will not chase you. They're not going to call your parents. They're not going to say, hey, where were you? You can stay home and can party because it's ladies' night, right? I mean, you can go for it. And let me tell you, you can party all the way up to grade time. You can party all the way to then. And then when your grades come out, party's over. 
because you grant, you can't get your loan renewed. You can't get your grant. Grades go down. You can't. And the party's over. And you go back home and wave at everybody. And work at Burger King. You see? Nothing wrong with Burger King. Nice place. But I'm just saying. That wasn't your dream. But it's all because you're not committed. And what's really tragic is we see it. A lot of you parents, you see it. You see, you look back and you see like Joshua saw, the commitment's changing. Our family's going in the wrong direction. We're making wrong choices. So what do you do? That brings me to the final point of the day. How to help the next generation succeed. Now I'm going to go to Psalm 23 and close this out with a final quick run through here. I want you to hear this. He gives us five things that you can do to help the next generation succeed. Five simple things. And it's all said in the context of Psalm 23. And I chose this because it just says it. It kind of takes you there. And here's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who are responsible to help the next generation. Around the sixth grade, parents start pulling apart. Family members stop caring. We start focusing on our own lives and we forget about those around us. Joshua understood something. A man who's almost 100 years old understood something. If the next generation dies, we're all in trouble. Whether it be in our family, our country, doesn't matter, our world. If the next generation doesn't care, they'll fall back into the mistakes that we've fallen in, we, we, we experienced years ago. And so here's what you have to do. This is hard work. This is, this is work that's not easy. But here's what, here's what I want to read for you. So let me read Psalm 23 and come back and show you quickly the five things. Number one, here's what it says, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Six verses that teach us five ways to help the next generation succeed. And this is spoken from the mouth of a guy who was a shepherd, who understood the care of helpless sheep. Here's what he said. First of all, provide personal care. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Provide personal care. I love the way he said this. The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd provides personal care for the sheep. And he uses the term that, that brought a whole meaning. When you said it to people, they went, oh, yeah, those are the guys that care for people that are in trouble. Those are guys who care for these animals that will die without help. For a lot of parents, they really don't get it. A lot of us family members, leaders of families, elders and families don't get it. The greatest danger is not two or three. People that are grieving and sorrowful today are not sorry about what they did at two or three years old. I remember I stole the ball, or I kicked the ball, or I did, I, no, no, it's when they're 16. 17, especially 18, 19, 20, 18 and above, 17 and above. Those are the things you regret today. Those are the decisions. That's when you did things you shouldn't have, did, shouldn't have done. Those are, the, those are the people. Those are the seasons of life when you needed to be shepherded. And I think we have to provide personal care, more intimate, up-close care. Secondly, we have to provide a stable environment. I love the fact that he says this. He, God, makes me lie down in green pastures. 
make sure the, the grass is watered, and that it's a stable environment. He leads me beside still waters. You, you know why a lot of, lot of the next generation is not going to do well? Because they're not around places that are peaceful. They live from chaos to chaos. Families are full of chaos. You gather, but you fight, and you don't speak, and it's just one big chaotic mess, so you just rather not be around them. You don't feel like you are being shepherded. There is no personal care. There is no stable environment. And thirdly, if you want to help the next generation, now this is the hard part. You ready? Provide what I call up-close mentoring. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Up-close mentoring. Up-close mentoring is kind of like this. It's what he says here in this verse. Listen to what he says. He restores my soul. Now, why that's significant is because the soul is your intellect, your emotions, and your will. It's you inside the flesh. It's everything you are outside of your skin. It's the real you. That's the part that gets hurt. That's the part that needs restoration. That's the part that, that's lost. And he says, what a good shepherd does, what the Lord wants to do is restore our soul. What we as leaders of families should do is to restore the soul of the people that are in our families. Look at your family and tell me something. Who, who can you define, who can you name that's off track? That needs to be led in the path of righteousness. That needs some right, right, right direction. We unplug and we disconnect and we go, oh, they're so bad, oh, they're so awful. And so your family as a unit is not committed to saying, hey, Frank, come here, man, we need to talk to you. You're the only one out here acting like this. We need to talk to you. Come here, girl, with your cute self. Come here. Pull your dress down just a little bit, baby. Come here. Talk to me. Help me understand what, you, what you're doing, girl. Well, I can't find a job. Don't you have a, you got to, come here. We're going to give you a job. We're going to help you out. We're going we're gonna to fix this. Because you are the next generation. If we don't, catch, you get me? Follow me, people. You, they get everything. They get everything. You're celebrating the two and the three-year-old and the little baby and all that, but they're not the ones in charge yet. It's the ones that are 19 and 20 and 21. It's the ones who are suicidal and on drugs and lost. They're the ones that are going to be in charge. That's why we should care. Does your family care? Are you committed to engaging up close? Restoring them, fixing their mind, their heart, helping them be better. And then then you, you got to do this fourth thing that's really tough. You got to protect them, sometimes from themselves. Here's, here's what he said that's really strong. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of drug addiction. <laughs> that's really in there somewhere, okay. Of death. Or whatever it is that's got you bound. Here's what he said. I will fear no evil. Here's what, here's what the sheep know. You are with me. Is your family with those who hurt? Are you with them? As a pastor, I, I think all the time. Temple, are you engaged? You want to walk with people in the church who are all fine? No. What about the people who struggle? Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Here's why. 
your rod and staff, they comfort me. You will fight. You need somebody that will stand up and say something. You watch this whole thing fall apart and forget, forget the politics for a minute. Hey, forget, forget the church or the community. I'm talking about your family. The people who wear your name. Are you committed to them? Well, no, I don't because they're not committed to me. Well, that's going to save everybody, isn't it? Let's all take that position. Your children that you have, you've, you've fathered, you don't even call a call, and you got a phone with three minutes. It's, the distance is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe ten numbers, and you're there. She won't call. I don't like her mother. Well, don't call her mother. <laughs> call her. Call him. What is your family committed to? I'll tell you what I won't do. I mean this with all my heart. I mean this with all my heart. And this is truth. God's witness and a judge. I work hard at doing a couple of things. Not defining myself by this title, Pastor Rick. I separate Ricky from that. As a matter of fact, I told a staff guy the other day, I said, if Ricky's healthy, Pastor Rick will be okay. But if Ricky's crazy, Pastor Rick will be crazier. Because he got a title and all that mess. You with me? I don't want to lead a church that's not healthy. I don't want to be responsible for, for focusing on holding services. And at the end of the day, I've not reached into your heart and challenged you to become better. I, I want to create an atmosphere that says we are committed as a family to do specific things, to be a certain way. Now, put the church aside, the Temple family, Ricky Temple's family. Now, a lot of my family outside of this, they've been, man, we've been drugs, drinking. I can name it all. They've done it all. I could not saved all of them. Some of them have come to tragic ends who have my name. But what I can do is the four people that I have power over, the three people that you have power over, you can say we are committed to a new direction. Am I preaching to anybody? You hear what I'm saying to you? Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I'm committed to not being bound in debt. I'm committed to having some cash. I don't want to be bound with no $500. I want some money in Jesus' name. I want our church to have the money to do God's will. I don't plan on getting up here to spend a whole bunch of gimmicks and saying a whole bunch of fancy words and, and praying on how I'm going to convince you to do something. No, I'm going to excite you. I'm going to show you that we're going to change the world, and you're going to be committed. I'm going to be committed, and we're going to get it done. Come on, say amen. Come on, we're going to get it done. Can I say this? Some, some, sometimes the problem, I'm going to tell you the problem is, <laughs> this is a little confession here. Sometimes the problem is, yeah. oh God, just say it, Ricky Temple. Sometimes we're just crazy for a while. Sometimes your dreams, your dreams, they were sincere, but they were a little bit too big or too small or somewhere wrong. But if you think about it and say, let, let, okay, I, I, I've grown up, what is the smart thing to commit to now? What, what can I resize in my life? So you want to be a basketball player, you want to be whatever, but you're not in the NBA. 
You're not even in the CBA. You're in no A, okay? So now resize and reshape your vision and commit to improving your life from where you are. Come on, say from where I am. You ain't doing the hand signals. Come on, people say from where I am. Stop all this, I want to be, you want to be, you ain't going to be all that now. From here. Well, I don't know all the mistakes I've made and what I should have done. No, from here. What's smart now? Sometimes you didn't know stuff. Sometimes you couldn't see things. Sometimes you, 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 you couldn't see things. You fell in love because you was blind. You needed somebody to hug and, you, and now you see. Your eyes are open. You look back and say, I was crazy. Okay, now act like you're in church. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody in here? I'm going to ask one time. I'm going to turn around and see who answers, okay? Anybody ever been crazy before? Raise your hand. How many hands up? We got a lot of hands up. Look now. We got a, look on the other side. We got a bunch of hands up. Good. If you didn't raise your hand, that means you're real crazy. Come on, Charlie. How many know you've been crazy in your life? Raise your hand. Come on. You've been off me. You've been, you didn't understand how to manage money. You didn't understand how to, how to live right. You didn't understand how to put somebody to love. You didn't know how to manage your family. But now you get it. Come on, clap your hand if you hear what I'm saying to you. That's why when you walk in the valley of the shadow of death with your son, you know what to tell him. You know what to tell her. You get it. And you don't walk in there with arrogance because you've been there. When they get high, you say, hey, 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 come here. Stop what you think. You've been there. You don't judge people because you've been there. You're a lot, more, you're a lot nicer to people because you've been there. Whenever I see a parent and a child screaming and and, and running around and, and acting up in the mall. I just want to trip the child, help him out, you know? I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know how it is. I helped you out there. He all right. He's going to be all right. Get up. <laughs> been there. Done that. Know what it feels like. See a daddy struggling over the bills. I know what that's like. I know what it's like. Thank God I know what it's like. That's why I'm committed. What are you committed to? Last thing he says. He said you got to provide a personal care, provide a stable environment, provide up-close mentoring. If you want to help the next generation, you got to provide protection. When they're in dangerous seasons of their life, you've got to step in and be there. Number five, you've got to provide preparation. I love this. You prepare, verse 5, Psalm 23, a table before me. You, you, you help me. In the presence of my enemies, when people wanted me to fail, you anointed my head with oil. You made my cup run over. You gave me more than I needed, more than I deserved. You want to help the next generation, you got to stop some of the things you're doing and say, let me reach back. Let me be committed to helping this generation be better. If you want your family to be better, you want this country to be better, you want this church to be better, that's what we got to think about. And that's what you got to think about. So the question is, what are you committed to? Let those hands let me pray for you. Father, today I pray that as we leave this place, that the Holy Spirit would touch hearts and minds. 
we'd analyze our commitments, that we'd look at our hearts and our, heart and our souls, restore our souls. We've lost our fire. Restore our souls. Help us, O oh God, to be restored. Lead us in the path of righteousness. We've gotten off, some of us. We're so busy focused on our careers, so busy traveling and dreaming of, of resting and relaxation and retirement that we have let the last generation die. God, help us. They are the next generation. Father, may we lift those hands up higher. May we reach up and grab you today. May you reach down and grab us. Touch us, oh God. Touch us, oh God. And for those who are the next generation, may they remember it was a gift, an opportunity given to them. They're going to college, some of them the first one in their family. They can't waste this opportunity. They can't squander this chance. They can't clown around with friends and ignore why they're here. Their parents struggled to get them here. They can't let this go to waste. They must rise up and hear your call to them. Father, I thank you for it. Now, with every hand down, every head bowed for a moment. If you're here and you say, Pastor, after hearing the message, what you said spoke to me. And the one thing I want to leave with is a, a new walk with God. I have not been committed to God. That's been my biggest challenge. And I want you to pray for me. And so if that's you, and you say, you know, I get it, Pastor. But I, today I want to start a walk with God today. If you want me to pray for you because you feel that way, just raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. I want to see you. I want to see who I'm praying for. I see one. I see two. I see six. I see eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 22, 24, 28, 32, 4, 36 people thereabout. Lord, I lift up all of these to you. I lift them up and I declare healing to them right now. Lift those hands again if you prayed that prayer with me. Touch them in Jesus' name. Let them say, this is my prayer today. That my life would start new with you. Now, everybody, everybody, just everybody in the room, I want you to lift your hands with them. We pray for healing today. We pray this is a new walk for them and a new beginning. I thank you and I honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can you say praise the Lord? You glad you came today? I hope so.